Chapter twenty five of Saint Charles Borromeo, a sketch of the reforming cardinal by Louise M. Stackpole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter twenty five The Oblates of Saint Ambrose. In fifteen fifty eight, Charles Borromeo wrote to Monsignor Speciano, I have finally decided to commence, with God's help, the work I have so long meditated, namely, founding an order of clerics who are already priests, under the title of the Oblates of St. Ambrose. I will give them a house near the Church of St. Sepulchro. They will live in community, following the rules that I or my successors will lay down for their guidance. They will not be allowed to accept a benefice outside their diocese. Their principal object will be to devote their lives to the service of the Ambrosian Rite, and after sufficient probation they will make a vow to do so. They will preach, hear confessions, give the breath of life to the faithful, and administer the sacraments wherever they are sent. They will direct schools, colleges, and pious confraternities. In brief, they will do their utmost to promote the greater glory of God. I have already found several priests and laymen who are desirous of embracing this state of life. Some are willing to take perpetual vows. Others will only agree to make them for my lifetime. Charles then asked Monsignor Speciano to obtain for him from the Pope various privileges and indulgences for his new order, and also to be allowed to use certain sums for it that he had formerly given to other good works. He entreats his agent not to lose time, as he is desirous to start this congregation before April 16th, when the meeting of his diocesan synod would take place. If I have the papal sanction, I shall be at liberty to establish, by degrees, the customs and regulations best suited to the congregation. Then he adds, Tell Mr. Filippo, they have ready to send me a number of his priests. They will serve as an auxiliary force to our army. At any rate, get him to promise to treat with me on the subject. Charles had previously consulted St. Philip Neri, but they did not quite agree. They were certainly both of opinion that a congregation of secular priests devoting their lives to their own sanctification and the salvation of souls would be an inestimable advantage anywhere, but they differed about details. Charles, as a prelate, sought principally for assistance in the government of his diocese. Philip, as a simple priest, desired only to induce other priests to lead a life of perfection, and aid the faithful more by their good example than by visiting the diocese, examining the clergy, and such like work. For Charles wished the Oblates to be his ministers, and help him to bear the burden of his vast diocese. I see that the ideas of the Oratorians are different from mine, Charles wrote to Monsignor Speciano. They want their congregation to depend on themselves only, and I want everything to depend on me. It is my object to have a body of men ready to obey me implicitly. Their name, Oblati, expresses the spirit of their order. Theirs was to be a willing oblation, and, as we shall see, it was decided that their only vow was one of obedience to their bishop. Charles, however, was very anxious to get Philip's opinion. The ascetic and reforming cardinal did not feel that confidence in his own judgment on this important matter that one would have expected. He, who was generally so decided, so inflexible, so autocratic, nay, almost despotic, hesitated, asked the advice of several persons, and at last, on his visit to Rome in 1579, entreated Philip to read over the rules carefully and suggest any alterations he pleased. Philip first refused. Then, when Charles continued to implore him almost with tears, he finally consented. 
He carefully read the roll of the oblates, and then said to the archbishop that he considered it would not be expedient for the oblates to take a vow of poverty. The two friends discussed the question. Neither would give in. At last Philip said with his charming smile, You asked me to go for a drive with you. Agreed, on condition that I give the coachman his orders. As you please, Father Philip, replied Charles, who knew the oratorian's little ways, and guessed that this request meant something of importance. Then, said Philip genially, with another sunny smile, we will drive to the convent of the Capuchins and the Piazza Barberini, and we will consult Brother Felix. Charles was aghast, and was even more stupefied when he saw Brother Felix, who was only a poor lay brother, apparently both ignorant and stupid, for he could not even read. Was it a jest on the part of the sportive Philip, a two-edged jest, probably intended to give a lesson in humility to the illustrious cardinal? Philip was fond of giving such spiritual alms to his friends and penitents. On one occasion, when Charles' sister, Anna Colonna, met her director in the Street of the Apostles, on her way to the Colonna Palace, she knelt down and asked his blessing. He gave it to her, but while doing so, managed to loosen her hair so that it fell over her shoulders, and everyone gazed at her in astonishment. Charles knew of this incident, and when he saw the heavy, ungainly lay brother who was asked to revise his role, he must have wondered if Philip meant to divert himself at his expense. Anna had taken her mortification in good part, receiving it with sweet humility. Charles was not to be outdone by his sister, so he listened quietly to the discussion between Father Philip and Brother Felix, for the humble lay-brother had first refused to give an opinion on the matter, alleging that he could not even read the document. But Philip finally ordered him, in virtue of holy obedience, to have it read to him, to meditate on it, and to tell them if he disapproved of anything in it. Brother Felix took the manuscript, opened it, and without a moment's hesitation, placed his finger on the roll, ordaining the poverty, and said with decision, This must be effaced. Then with a charming smile he handed the document to the cardinal, refusing to say another word on the subject. Charles believed that it was the voice of the Holy Ghost speaking to him through the mouth of a rude, ignorant, but saintly and humble man. He accordingly struck out the words binding the oblates to poverty, and contented himself with recommending them to practice it. Charles afterwards learned that the rough Capuchin was really a great saint, hiding heavenly wisdom and marvelous sanctity beneath a lowly and unprepossessing exterior. Brother Felix was a native of Catalici, who spent his life up to his thirty-sixth year as a laborer in the fields. He then became a laborer in the Lord's vineyard, becoming a Capuchin friar. He was one of those holy men who throughout their lives give signal proofs of the foolishness of the cross, seeming to the eyes of ordinary men somewhat eccentric. But when he died, all Rome mourned for him. Father Bordini wrote as follows about him. Brother Felix the Capuchin is dead, and everyone grieves for him. They kept him three days unburied, and so great was the crowd and so fervent their devotion that they left him without habit or beard. Nothing is talked about in Rome but Brother Felix, a man who was so lowly that he was almost despised during his life. The humble lay brother is now venerated by us as St. Felix of Cantalice. Sometime previously, in August 1578, on the feast of St. Simplician, Charles had practically founded the Congregation of the Oblates. He placed them under the protection of Our Lady and of St. Ambrose, and they were styled the Oblates of St. Ambrose 
but the order is now called by his own name, and his sons all over the world bear the name of their saintly founder. Many and various were the confraternities, congregations, seminaries, colleges, and orders founded by the reforming cardinal, but the one he loved best was undoubtedly the Congregation of the Oblates. He loved and cherished it with the love of predilection, and his happiest hours were spent among his sons in the house near the old church of San Sepulcro, close to where is now the Bibliotheca Ambrosiana. Here he held those famous reunions that must have in a way reminded him and his friends of the Vatican Knights, though these gatherings were devoted exclusively to discourses on sacred subjects and to prayer interspersed with music. For Charles loved sweet harmonies as dearly as in the old days, when he had employed Palestrina to reform church music. He adopted the stately Gregorian psalmody altogether in the churches, but in these familiar reunions he probably allowed his sons to indulge in brighter and lighter melodies, their voices rising in popular canzoni and hymns, or in part songs. There is an exquisite little motet by Palestrina for three voices that doubtless they often sang. Jesus sumo conforto, tu mio beato porto, e santo redentore, o grambonta, dulce pieta, felice quel che teco uno tosta. While thus giving needful refreshment to the souls of the oblates, their founder was equally careful of the bodily health, personally supervising all arrangements for their comfort. When they were ill, he was unwearying in his care and devotion, nursing them himself, procuring luxuries, consoling and praying for them. And when Father Stepani was dying, his loving father importuned heaven so untiringly and so strenuously that at his intercession our Lord restored the patient to health. Charles was asked why he had prayed so ardently for a man who was not of much importance. The archbishop replied simply, The life of a good priest is of inestimable value and of the greatest importance. The order increased daily. Several laymen were affiliated to it. Charles obtained the approbation of the Holy See, and Gregory endowed it with many privileges and indulgences. End of chapter 25